The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. Friends, let me invite you now to open up your copy of God's Word and turn with us to the book of Colossians in the New Testament. Colossians chapter 3. You can find a Bible nearby you in the rack if you need one. It's on page 984 in the New Testament. Colossians 3, 16 and 17 is our text this morning. We are in a 23rd sermon in the book of Colossians as we've been there most of this year. And as we've been studying the book of Colossians together, we've been titling this series Christ Preeminent as Paul is intending to fill our minds much with the knowledge of Christ and our hearts with the love of Christ. As Paul writes to this church in Colossae, which was a relatively small, relatively new church that needed to have basic concepts of Christian living instilled in them so they could be set on the right path to continue on for a lifetime of faithfulness. That's Colossae, and that's who Paul is writing to. And where we have been in our studies in the book of Colossians is now that we've arrived in chapter 3, what Paul has been focusing on in chapter 3 is been focusing on giving very practical, basic instructions for Christian living. And at the center of that instruction about Christian living is helping Christian believers understand how they should think about their lives in the very basic sense of how they should consider their identity. And what we've been seeing about that in the book of Colossians is that the Apostle Paul is laboring to say to you as a Christian believer that what is true of you is most fundamentally is that you are a person who are, is in union with Jesus Christ. The Christian believer is someone who is united by faith to Jesus Christ. Or in other words, the things that are true of him are true of you. Let's just scan a few places here in chapter 3 and we can be reminded of that. In chapter 3, verse 5, we saw Paul saying that Christ died and we should consider ourselves, chapter 3, verse 5, dead to sin. Christ died, we died in Christ. Christ died, we died in Christ. And then chapter 3, verse 1, Christ rose, Paul says, we are raised to new life in him. Or he writes, you have been raised with Christ. You died with Christ, you are raised with Christ, your life is in Christ. The things that are true of him are true of you. And as a result of that, because we are raised with Christ, we are called to put off the old life. To put off the life that is now dead or in other words, saying our sins, those things we should consider to be of us, of our old life and dead, and we are to call to be putting on the new life in Christ. So we put off the old life and put on the new life, and Paul has been laboring to say what that looks like. We're supposed to put off these certain things that used to characterize our life, and now we are to put on the new life in Christ, or in other words, to dress the part and reflect who we truly are in Christ. So Paul is now giving an answer to, how do we do that? Uh, how do we go about living the Christian life in community together, where each one of us are trying to put off the old life and put on the new life, and find a way to, in a sense, figure this out. To figure out the Christian life and live it out in sincerity within a community. What Paul is giving today is really the tools and the resources to make that a reality. So our text today moves from uh, like an exhortation to an implementation. How do you go about doing this? 
How do you go about putting on the new self and living the new life in Christ? What has God given you in terms of resources to help you grow in your obedience? That's what our text addresses today. So, just let me give you a few notes about the text so that you'll be on the lookout for some particular things and then we'll read it. Uh, Paul is talking about the life that we share together in Christ. So there's a very strong communal element to this and the resources that God has equipped the church with in order for the believers to pursue the life that he's called them to. So notice a few things, will you? First of all, notice we're looking at 15, 16, 17 really today, not just 16 and 17. But I want you to notice that everything is going to be in the plural. There is not singular language in this passage. Everything, if you want the grammar lesson, is second person plural. You all or y'all. Everything is y'all in this passage today. It's communal and corporate plural language. Christ, you will notice, is explicitly mentioned right at the core of every resource God has given, along with, in every verse, 15, 16, and 17, a call to thankfulness. So, see in verse 15, he says, and be thankful. Verse 16, thankfulness in your heart. Verse 17, giving thanks. So the emphasis is on a community of believers living together in pursuit of Christ together, marked by an overflow of gratitude for what God has done for them in Christ, and being motivated to move forward according to these three things. One, the peace of Christ. Secondly, the word of Christ. And third, the name of Christ. So, these are the resources that God has given the church to live out our callings together. That's the point of our text today. Let's pray and hear the word of God this morning. Heavenly Father, uh, we pause now to say that we love the scriptures. And we're thankful that you've given them to us, that we can be wise for salvation and wise both for godliness as well. We pray, Lord, that you would send your spirit upon us to illuminate our minds, that the word that we read and sit under would be to us your living word and would penetrate down to our very souls. Lord, plant your word deeply within us that it might bear fruit to the glory of your name. So, bread of heaven, feed our weary souls, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Colossians 3, uh, verse 15, 15, 16, 17. Hear now the word of God. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts, to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of God abides forever. So may he write its truth in our hearts today. Again, these are Paul's tools that he tells us God has given to us to live out our Christian life. These three, the peace of Christ, the word of Christ, and the name of Christ. Let's see how these things uh, fuel us forward and strengthen us. You may be uh, particularly given to one or more of these things, but we all need every single one of these things. Everybody knows the frustration of not having the right tool to do a job that you need to do, and you get frustrated because you say, I don't have what I need to get this job done. Well, the good news of the gospel is, is that you have everything that you need to live out your Christian life in Jesus Christ. You don't lack for resources. You don't lack for the right and efficient tool to live your life in Christ. And Paul lists what these right tools are. First of all, verse 15, 
the peace of Christ which secures our unity. Look at it again, verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body. The Bible says all over the place that the church is called the body of Christ. It's referred to as the corporate entity of the people of God together in unity. And even in fact, in just the book of Colossians, Paul has said several times how the church is the body of Christ. So let's just scan back over a few of them very quickly. Just flip along with me. Back in chapter 1, verse 18, Paul says that Jesus Christ, exalted and preeminent, is the head, the ruler, the exalted one over his body, the church. Also in chapter 1, verse 24, Paul refers to Christ's body, the church. And that body, chapter 2, verse 19, is a body that is knit together and nourished in spiritual growth through Jesus who brings nourishment and growth. Chapter 2, verse 19, nourished and knit together, the healthy body grows. Then in chapter 3, verse 11, Paul reminds us that this entity of the body of Christ is not defined by customary divisions in the social order, not by Jew and Greek or slave or free. The world's divisions of social orders don't apply to the church where the body of Christ unites people together and no longer gives them divisive identities but unites them in one identity together in Christ. That's chapter 3, verse 11. And then in 3, 12, and 14, we see the resources that Paul has given, uh, told us that God gives us to live out this life as we forgive one another and bear with one another and extend humility and grace and patience towards one another because everybody knows community is a difficult enterprise at times. Living together in proximity has its joys. Of course it does, but it also has its tensions, doesn't it? It has its struggles. It has its strifes. We used the illustration last week of pebbles being rounded over as they rub into each other, right? And Christians grow and become smoothed over as we just crash into each other again and again and again and learn to live each other, sometimes in difficult ways. But that's God's way of growing us as a church, the body of Christ. So, this major emphasis is that Paul is writing to the church at Colossae because as this church is growing and as the church sets out on their life together, even though they're a very young church, they were already, at the time of Paul's writing, beginning to establish some divisions within their church, some divisions within the body of Christ at Colossae. Strife and frustration and hostility and unforgiveness had worked its way into Colossae, and it didn't take very long. And it doesn't take very long, does it, for a community of people to end up being threatened to fracture from all sorts of various reasons. The church at Colossae was struggling to maintain its unity, and every Christian church still today has to strive to maintain unity because naturally we don't want to be. Naturally we do not want to be united. The problem is not that Jesus struggles to maintain the unity of his church or to maintain his rule in the church, but sometimes every one of us from time to time can be very intent to insist that my way is the best way. That this is actually my church and we'll do it my way. Sometimes we're so intent to disrupt the unity of the church with these various insistences, divisions, disruptions, factions. How do we keep it in check? It's in us. How do we keep that notion of division in check within us? How do we keep our natural tendencies to be divisive and contentious in check? Paul says in verse 15, it's this. You need to let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. The peace of Christ to rule in your hearts. That's verse 15. 
Remember, again, the your is plural, so it's your hearts. Paul is saying the peace of Christ is not something that individually and subjectively lives in each one of us as a unique entity, but rather the peace of Christ lives in us corporately in the sense that the peace of Christ dwells where the people of God dwell together. It's in our hearts. It's something that we share. We have it in common. It's ours together. But notice that word rule. Something significant about that, actually. The peace of Christ to rule our collective hearts. That, that means more than what you might think just on the surface. It's more than just rule in terms of take control of. Uh, the word rule there is actually the same word that he used in chapter 2, verse 18. In Colossians 2.18, that's translated there as disqualify. Chapter 2.18 is let no one disqualify you. It's the same word in this verse 15, chapter 3, verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. It's a, it's a Greek word that means a, a range of meaning, but it has at its essence this notion of be a referee or an umpire or make judgments about. Both have this original sense of refereeing or umpiring, something like a sporting event where someone calls something out of bounds or says that's a foul or that's not permissible or admitted. This word, rule, means disqualify in the sense of ruling things in or out of bounds. Paul is saying that Christian believers must let the peace of Christ referee your hearts together. Make judgments about your hearts together. To rule certain behaviors out of bounds. To allow fouls to be called on your own behavior when needed. And speak to your conscience, speak to your heart, to aid you in preserving the unity of the body of Christ by letting the peace of Christ referee your heart. See, the point is, is that naturally, we like to referee our own hearts. We like to referee an umpire according to our own set of rules, and we have ours, and we enforce them on other people, but we don't like it when they do that to us. We're good at refereeing one another, and that causes division. But Paul is saying, let the peace of Christ be what rules your hearts. Let the peace of Christ be what referees your hearts. In other words, you know, they're saying, my house, my rules. Jesus is saying, my house, my rules, my refereeing. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. We play by his house rules. You don't get to operate by your own rule book in the church of Jesus Christ. Neither do I. We operate by his rules, his peace. Uh, we don't get to call foul on one another and then get mad when someone calls foul on us. But the point here is that that's exactly how classic arguments goes, isn't it? Somebody brings a gripe to somebody and they said, well, you did this. And normally the other person doesn't say, oh, you're so right, I'm so sorry. They say, well, you did that. And next thing you know, you're trying to referee each other according to your own rule set, and everybody's mad at everybody. Next thing you know, everybody's finger-pointing, saying, you're in the wrong according to my rules. But Paul is saying, let it, the peace of Christ referee in your hearts. What does that look like? What does it look like to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts collectively as a church in Edgington? What that means is, loved one, you need to be less sensitive. You need to be less sensitive about constantly being mindful of the way everyone offends you and perhaps to be more conscientious about the ways you might offend somebody else. Because the Apostle Paul says elsewhere in the book of Philippians to look not only for your own self, but look out for the interests of others. Be more conscientious of the ways that you might be an offense 
rather than constantly saying, I am offended by someone else. To prefer one another means that when something is wrong or there's a point of contention or division, the first assumption that we should make is that there's something that I need to do to change. There's something that I need to repent of. Not that they are wrong and they need to change, but that I need to learn that I need to grow and change. That I need to learn to bear with somebody else in patience and forgive somebody else and allow love to cover a multitude of sins. That's what it means to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts because it is Christ's peace that he gives. It's not your peace to maintain your own subjective peace. It's his. Let it rule is what Paul says. Secondly, not only let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, but verse 16 he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We need the word of Christ to dwell richly within us if we're going to pursue our life together in Christ. How are we going to put off the old self and put on the new self and find a way to live together and make progress in the Christian life? Not only do we let the peace of Christ rule us, but we let the word of Christ dwell in us. This is the plan for your Christian growth. This is the plan for your progress in your Christian life. We are to let the word of Christ, the scriptures, the Bible, let it dwell in us richly. In other words, we're called to be Bible people. People who believe the word and trust the word and follow the word. We're called to be Bible people. To go beyond just superficial glancing at the Bible. But to sit and listen and sit and read and dwell in the truth and become saturated with the scriptures. To let them soak into you. Everybody knows you can't marinate a piece of meat with a quick dunk. you got to sit and let it linger. Soak up the flavor. Take on the taste, right? Paul is saying that Christian believers need to let the Word of God marinate us so that we take on the taste and the flavoring of the truth of God's Word and so be changed as the Word dwells within us and we're transformed. Paul says, let it dwell in you richly. Now, I have to acknowledge that it's just at this point that you know, a preacher wants to take that text and run five different directions with it. Because I want to say to you, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Sit under the preaching of the Word of God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Come to Sunday school and grow. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Attend Bible studies and be a part of discipleship efforts. And take interest in these things so that the word of Christ will dwell richly in you. But it's interesting that Paul applies it in one direction only. Not that those things are wrong and not that they don't have their place. But do you notice how Paul says to apply letting the word of God dwell in us richly? Again, he's got the context of the gathered church in mind, the corporate entity, the people of God. He says, let the word dwell in you richly as you sing. We weren't expecting that. But he says, let the word dwell in you richly as you sing. So here it's important to remember that Christian worship has two dimensions. Christian worship has a vertical dimension, doesn't it? Where God is the object of our worship. God is to whom we are giving our worship. We bow down before him and sing his praise and come to him to adore him with loving hearts to say, Lord, you are great and we worship you. There is an irreducible vertical Godwardness that anchors everything we do as a church. Vertical. But there is also a horizontal dimension to the worshiping church of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul has in mind here. In verse 16, he says that the word of Christ is dwelling us richly as we teach and admonish one another by singing. And we're singing to the Lord, yes, of course. We are lifting our voices in praise to Him, but in another sense, Paul says, we're singing to each other. 
you say, I don't like, I don't like when people listen to me sing. That's not, that's not the point of what Paul is saying, you understand. We sing to each other. As we do, we are teaching and admonishing one another. You hear the lifted voices of the people of God, and it does something in your heart. It does something in your soul. It stirs you up as you are taught and admonished by the voices of the people of God, raising them in praise together, ministering to you. Your voice raised in song is a gracious ministry to your fellow Christian believers. It's a blessing to them. So again, away with the notion of your worry that you can't carry a tune in a bucket. That doesn't matter. What matters is that your voice being lifted up is what nurtures and instructs and encourages your fellow Christian believers. Because nobody really likes to sing by themselves, unless they're an exceptionally good singer. Most of us are very self-conscious about how we sound, aren't we? Yes, of course we are. But you know what helps? When your voice is added to a number that is corporately singing, and it's not about one voice or the next, it's about us. It's about the people. And that sound is what ministers the gospel to our hearts in a very practical way. Causes the word of God to dwell in us richly through the praises that we sing. This is a powerful thing. And let me give you a word of confession now as a pastor, because I stand up here and sing very self-conscientiously, do you understand? Very self-conscious. I got a microphone on me. It bothers me to the day's end. But I also struggle with where to look when I sing up here. Because I could keep my nose in the hymnal or look at the screen on the back, but quite frankly, I know, the, I know the hymns, I don't need the words. So I start to wander a bit and I start to look around. And I'm worried you're gonna catch me looking at you is what's gonna happen, right? Uh, but do you know why I look at you? Because the voices of the people of God singing the praises of Jesus Christ stirs my soul with gladness. And you encourage me. And you strengthen me in, in, in what I'm up here doing. But the sound of it and the voice of it, knowing your stories and knowing your struggles, being a part of some of your family members' funerals, singing at those events, singing, uh, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well. You can't sing that and mourn at the same time without faith in Jesus Christ. And you have done that, and it ministers to us. It ministers to the people of God. It ministers to the church. It moves me. It moves us to sing the praises of our triune God together. That's why Paul uses these very particular words, teach and admonish. The word that he uses for teach is a very general word, just general instructions, where we get the word didactic from. It's just common use. But the word when he says admonish there, he means to urge forward and to infuse courage and to strengthen where perhaps some weeks, you might not know it, friends, but it is your voice that is raised in song that strengthens your neighbor to keep going that week because they had a rotten one. And your voice in praise to God is what admonishes them, encourages them to keep going and press on. You didn't sit and give them a pep talk, but they were infused with courage by the sound of your voice being raised in praise to God. And it is a beautiful thing. Let me say one more thing about this very directly because the text affords the opportunity. And very directly to men, gentlemen, especially those of you blessed to be fathers, grandfathers, or uncles, or under the influence or over the influence of children. Do you want to make a multi-generational impact in the life of your family? 
Sing in church. And let your kids see you sing. Why? Because they say, that's a man that worships God. And you know what that man is? That's a real man who worships his God. Men, sing. Sing. There's nothing more important in all the world than that. We're singing to the Lord and we're singing to one another. And it causes the word to dwell richly within us. So we let the peace of Christ referee our hearts. We let the word of Christ dwell richly with us and we sing. And then thirdly in verse 17, we have the name of Christ to, to ground us, to ground our purpose and ground our goals with what we do. Look at verse 17 as a word of conclusion. Verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's a very comprehensive exhortation, isn't it? It's very broad. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything for the glory and the praise of God. What does it mean to do something for the name of God? What does it mean to do something for the name of Jesus? It means to do it for his sake, to do it for his honor, to do it for his renown, to do it that he might be known so that other people who look at you and observe your pattern of life would look at you and make good conclusions about who Jesus is because you follow him. They would look at your life and see that Jesus is great because of who you are being transformed to be as you follow him, as you serve and give and care and pray and love and sing, so that all the things that you do in word or deed, you do for his glory as he becomes the object of your love and object of your desire, such that you want to please him. Whatever you do, Paul says, do it for Christ because you, you live for him. The old you is dead. The, the, the you that was defined by your sins and failures and guilt that person is gone. You're a new person alive in Jesus Christ. And you've got new marching orders and a new set of desires and a new purpose to make much of Jesus. Your old life was all about you making much of you. And your kingdom was only this big. But the new you, the you that is in Jesus Christ in faith union with him, is a you that is living for a kingdom that far exceeds any limit and will last for all eternity. And God is calling you through Paul's word here to the Colossians to live for Jesus Christ, to have your lives reflect his glory so that, again, those who do not follow him would look at you and see something of a reflection in him. Imperfectly to be sure, but sincere and growing nonetheless. Whatever you do in word or deed for the glory of Christ. So the tools to encourage our life together in Christ, the peace of Christ to referee our unity because it needs to be refereed. The word of Christ to dwell richly with us as we sing to one another and the name of Christ to give us purpose and a sense of identity. And notice again as a word of conclusion, each one of these is grounded in gratitude because the Christian believer has gratitude as their daily food. Because they know that their whole life is but for the grace of God. They're a new person in him. And loved ones, there is no better place to feel gratitude for Jesus Christ and to long to be transformed in his image than here at this table and among the people of God. So as we have this desire to live together in Christ with these tools and resources, may God give us all the means to live out for his glory. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the gospel and we thank you that your son has so pledged himself to us and pledged to transform us as we follow him. Lord, give us grace to walk with sincerity such that the peace of Christ might rule us, the word of Christ might dwell deeply within us and the name of Christ would be our great motivation. Lord, bless our church and bless your people, we pray. 
In his matchless name we ask it. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.